Chapter thirty five of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five. She spoke with passion after pause. And were it wisely done if we who cannot gaze above should walk the earth alone? If we whose virtue is so weak should have a will so strong and stand blind on the rocks to choose the right path from the wrong? To choose perhaps a love lit hearth instead of love and heaven a single rose for a rose-tree which beareth seven times seven a rose that droppeth from the hand that fadeth in the breast until in grieving for the worst we learn what is the best they had been more than a month at muckross and the first leaflets of autumn were beginning to fall lightly on the mossy turf and in the park-like roads where the pine-trees shed their cones on the path flora's improved health was an agreeable subject for mrs ollivant to enlarge upon in her letters to her son and she little dreamed how many a pang she inflicted on the lonely worker when she discoursed of his wife's brightening cheeks quiet slumbers and improved spirits there are wounds whose pain the tenderest touch can only irritate reading those cheerful letters in the dull solitude of his consulting-room by the grey london light cuthbert ollivant thought how shallow a soul this must be whose griefs mountain scenery and fresh air could cure how frail the tie which had bound his young wife to him when its severance left so slight a scar i have prayed god for her happiness he said to himself afterward ashamed of his selfish pang am i weak enough to be sorry that my prayer has been heard let me think of her tenderly as the thorn-tree may remember the summer butterfly that floated about its rough branches for a noontide brightening and beautifying it for a little while and then soaring away to the flowers had we not better go back to the willows mamma flora asked one morning you must be anxious to see that all is right she could not bring herself to speak of her husband but it was of the mother's desire to see her son she was thinking well yes my love i shall be very glad to see poor cuthbert again his letters are so short and so far apart and altogether so unsatisfactory that i am naturally rather anxious about him it is more than a week since i heard last and then there are the servants at the willows it isn't quite a wise thing to leave them alone so long yet it seems cruel to take you away while the warm weather lasts for you seem so fond of the place i do like it very much mamma it is so sweet and sad and solitary but i am ready to go back whenever you please i wish to obey you dear mamma for believe me with a broken sob i am anxious to make up to you in some small measure for all the sacrifices you have made for me do not speak of them dearest it is true that i should like to be with cuthbert but he wishes me to be with you and i have never thwarted any wish of his and then i look forward with hope do not hope anything for me mamma i have done with hope you said the same two years ago dear in your grief yet you have known some happy hours since then flora turned from her with a sigh it was thus she ended all consolatory arguments but she did not forget the mother's anxiety to see her son the housekeeper's concern for her household i believe i am quite well now mamma she said well enough to satisfy mr chalfont and to do without his eternal tonics so we may as well go home as soon as you like then i'll write to mary ann to-day and see about the packing to-morrow replied mrs ollivant delightedly packing with her was a solemn business that occupied at least two days and demanded serious thought 
the mary ann to whom she was going to announce her return was a somewhat antiquated female who had been housemaid and parlour-maid in the quiet establishment at long sutton one of those household treasures an old servant flora went out alone that afternoon for one of her last rambles more regretful at leaving this tranquil retreat than she would have liked her mother-in-law to know she had not been happy here but she had been at peace there had been nothing to remind her of her past life with its shifting lights its dark shadows to return to the willows was to go back to the empty husk of her lost happiness not an object in that house which cuthbert ollivant had been so glad to adorn for her but would remind her of how much she had lost in losing him pleasant to open the little gate that led into the sacred precincts of the abbey unfollowed by the juvenile guardian of the shrine for whom flora was a privileged person how still and calm and holy was that ancient place of tombs all nature's wildest fairest growth beautifying and sheltering it deep grass greenest mosses grey lichen ruddy strawberry leaves the ferns grown tall and rank in their autumnal maturity the wild honeysuckle exhaling its latest breath and perfume the berries brightening to deepest red on mountain ash and arbutus the first yellowing leaves upon poplar and plain the creeping bluebirds stealing in and out among loftier weeds purple foxgloves lifting their slender spires among the ferns flora moved softly through the deep grass to her favourite nook odd no less than on her first entrance here she had her chosen spot a quiet corner of the burial-ground where she could sit for hours hidden by the angle of a great square tomb and out of the beat of exploring tourists the boy who guarded the place knew her retreat and was careful to keep strangers away from it she seated herself on a humble mossy old grave beside the loftier tomb and opened her book her beloved dante almost every page scored and annotated with her husband's pencil he had taught her italian out of dante just as he had taught her latin out of horace there were his careful notes on the margin of each page every obscurity made clear every rugged line made smooth they had read their favourite pages together in italy where climate and landscape lent reality to the verse and dante's poem seemed to take new grandeur from dante's land to-day she turned the leaves slowly finding it a hard thing to keep her ideas from wandering far from the page if i had never known the truth i might still have been happy she thought brooding upon that revelation of jared gurner's she had been so happy just before that evil day looking forward with unutterable hopes to the time when her baby would smile upon her when cuthbert would be proud and glad with the pride and gladness of a father when all the world would seem brighter for those two because of the new bright life that would be theirs to cherish and adore as a child thinks of its first doll a maiden of her first lover flora had thought of the child that was to be given to her arms and lo death had claimed the unopened bud and sent it to blossom in a fairer holier land she closed her volume with a despairing sigh all the wide world of poetry could not comfort her or beguile her thoughts from her own little life and its great grief francesca and her lover were but empty shadows and if they had loved and suffered verily in their day she could hardly pity them suffering seemed the common lot of humanity all the horrors of the dreamer's underworld could not awaken her interest ugolino was simply a bore she tossed the book aside impatiently and gave herself up to musing on her own troubles what was she to do with that empty remnant of her life which remained to be got rid of somehow the rustle of a woman's dress sweeping over the long grass roused her from this gloomy reverie after it had lasted some time she looked up and saw a lady approaching young tall handsome 
and oh so happy-looking a woman who looked as if her world was all sunshine she came quickly along looking about her admiringly uttering a little exclamation of delight now and then involuntary for she had no one to whom to communicate her rapture she was very handsome quite in a different style from flora's flower-like beauty whereby flora as was natural admired her intensely this stranger was a brunette with an olive complexion and eyes that were darker than a starless night she had a sweet smiling mouth and white teeth that showed a little between the red slightly parted lips she was dressed in soft indian silk of a yellowish hue which harmonized wonderfully with the rich colouring of her somewhat spanish beauty and in her grey felt hat there was a scarlet plume fastened with a broad silver buckle just such a hat as one sees in some of van dyck's portraits a scarlet shawl a real indian fabric embroidered with gold-coloured silk hung carelessly upon her shoulders and a large umbrella of the same material as her dress sheltered her from the sun in one hand she carried a flat japanned colour-box and this to flora's surprise she deposited among the strawberry plants and ivy upon the stone tomb she was going to sketch evidently but where was her sketch-book flora watched her movements with languid curiosity having laid down her paint-box the lady looked about her for a minute or so and then mounted one of the low graves and looked across the burial-ground and called toinette toinette whereupon a shrill voice with a very decided twang responded me voici madame je viens madame and then a much smaller voice also shrill cried mam mam maman and anon a young person in a neat cambric cap appeared stumbling over the graves and through the long grass and brambles carrying a large portfolio and an artist's camp-stool and with a very small child all white and scarlet like a tropical bird hanging on to her dress come to mamma darling cried the lady and presently the little eighteen-months-old toddler was lifted in her strong young arms and held up in the sunlight cooing laughing joyous and crying gain mamma gain meaning that the tossing operation however fatiguing to the operator was to be continued until farther notice hot tears welled up into flora's eyes and she turned her face against the tomb which concealed her from the strangers to hide those streaming eyes from the light happy mother happy child over her baby's narrow grave the summer flowers had bloomed and faded she had never held him in her arms never seen his sweet blue eyes why were some people so happy in this world she asked and she so miserable a common question which poor humanity is prone to address to fate the camp-stool was provided with a big canvas umbrella there was also a portable easel which the lady arranged with extreme care and precision while the french bun rambled about with the child showing it the flowers and trees and tombs with perpetual exclamations in the style of magellon and yveline in nos bons villageois i think that will do said the lady to herself after arranging and rearranging the easel and shifting the big umbrella two or three times what a fuss she makes about her things thought flora she ought to be a very great artist for her sketches to be worth all this preparation but the lady made no sign of beginning work she walked in and out among the low graves looked at the view from every point paused to survey her preparations smiled approvingly i think he will like this spot she murmured that angle of the abbey stands out so well against the foliage what a lovely background for one of his subjects he might paint as good a picture as millet's huguenots just two lovers meeting or parting in front of the yonder ruined wall and every bit of lichen and ivy on that old tomb standing sharply out in the clear air 
oh thought flora all these preparations are for someone else her husband perhaps she thought of the brief happy days at branscombe in that bygone life of hers when she too had busied herself with a painter's paraphernalia and arranged the pencils and dabbled with the colours belonging to that raphael in embryo mr walter leyburne how foolish i was in those days she mused pitying her fond girlish delusions and if that old woman told the truth he never really cared for me poor papa almost asked him to propose to me i dare say blushing hotly at the humiliating idea and then she thought of that young lover's awful death hurled in one moment from the sunlight and glory of this world to tragic instantaneous death horrible death perchance for who could tell what endurance of agony might not be concentrated in that awful moment the sun shining on the smiling summer fields the skylark caroling in heaven's unclouded vault and below that bright glad world the awful illimitable gulf men call the grave how could my husband ever be happy remembering that hour she wondered how could he ever feel himself less than a murderer she lapsed into gloomy thought and forgot the strange lady who after fluttering about a little now here now there disappeared from that corner of the burial ground leaving the easel and umbrella ready for the coming worker flora looked up presently slightly curious about any lover of that art she loved so well she thought of her own portfolios and sketching gear lying idle in her pretty morning-room at the willows she had not touched pencil or brushes since that cruel hour when the bright thread of life was broken old pursuits could delight her no longer life's joy bells were out of tune yet she was too much an artist in her small way to behold that easel and colour-box without some faint interest and she watched for the coming of the painter i don't think i should ever have cared for him if he hadn't been a painter she mused remembering how her interest in the young stranger in the velvet coat had first been aroused in the far-away time when she used to look out of the window in fitzroy square that stony dreary quadrangle which to her fancy was the finest square in london a football came softly across the deep grass the odour of a choice havana polluted the sweet flower-scented air the artist was approaching she looked up curiously from her snug retreat in the angle made by the tomb and low fern-fringed wall he too wore a velvet coat it was the custom of the painter tribe evidently he too had a silky moustache of palest auburn she could see the drooping ends under the broad rim of his panama hat he wore a short vandyke beard he was tall and slim and youthful of aspect with long white feminine hands an onyx cameo on one finger a cornelian intaglio on the other her face grew white as the cotton flowers in the black valley the fleecy blossoms that whiten the marshy grounds like snow in summer the stranger whose face she had not seen yet had a carriage and manner that turned her blood to ice so like the dead so like the dead yet why should not two young men resemble each other in figure and bearing there was nothing extraordinary in the resemblance but it gave her an awful feeling as if the returning dead had drawn near her under the bright blue sky she could hardly breathe she felt that horrid sense of oppression which seizes upon the sleeper in a nightmare dream felt that she wanted to cry aloud and could not for her very life the stranger lingered a little before he came to the easel looked about him admiringly consideringly as the lady had done mounted a lowly grave and surveyed the scene with that indifference to the sanctity of graves which marks the tourist walked about a little exploring meditating and then began to sing to himself softly in a tender tenor voice 
a voice that had a faint touch of that veiled tone with which sims reeves strikes the fountain of our tears the one exquisitely pathetic voice which to have heard but once is to remember for ever he sang the donna immobile singing as he strolled from tomb to tomb with just that debonair tone in which mario used to troll the melody as he sauntered gaily across the bridge leaving death and ruin behind him at the sound of that familiar air flora began to tremble violently she drew closer to the tomb clung to it as if there were succour and defence from some unfathomable horror even in that stony shelter if the dead could come back she thought if it were possible or if it were possible that man had deceived me but no cuthbert acknowledged it my husband confessed his part in walter's death it is only a likeness in voice and in walk and figure she paused breathless and wiped the cold perspiration from her forehead greater terror she could hardly have known had the dead verily appeared to her she thought of lazarus and of that unspeakable awe which must have fallen upon his sisters when they saw their dead come forth at his master's summons the voice the voice she thought as those tender notes floated away on the soft air it is his very tone his favourite melody how often i have heard him sing just like that as he stooped over my shoulder to correct a line in my drawing without knowing that he was singing the stranger completed his survey and sauntered up to the tomb opened his colour-box till singing to himself in an undertone and arranged his sheaf of brushes his palette his tubes and then when all was ready tossed his hat into the ferns and briars then bareheaded he bent over the tomb for the last time to take up his palette before seating himself under the umbrella and as he did so flora lifted her white face above the edge of the tomb and looked at him it was walter leyburne she gave a fearful cry and fell face downwards in the long grass he had not seen the small white face looking at him over the ivy and lichen and strawberry leaves and was so much the more startled by that agonized shriek which seemed to come from the earth is it mandrake he thought the soul of the murdered crying out against his assassin he looked about him saw the fallen figure in its white dress dashed across a grave or two and lifted the lifeless form in his arms a nice situation he said to himself burdened with an unconscious stranger lou toinette no one answered his call he stood in helpless perplexity for a few moments not having the faintest idea what he ought to do for the sufferer she hung motionless in his arms her face turned towards his shoulder there was no restorative at hand but the sweet fresh mountain air not a beck or pool within ten minutes walk so faintly remembering something that a doctor had once told him he laid the lifeless stranger gently down on the soft long grass with her pale face turned upward to the smiling sky then for the first time he saw and recognized that unforgotten face flora he cried the heavy white lids were slowly lifted as if life came back at his bidding the melancholy blue eyes looked at him dreamily for a moment as sense returned to the bewildered brain and then the lips faltered am i dead too and in the land of death the painter watched her with a guilty look as she slowly raised herself from that soft couch among the low graves and tottered back to her favourite seat by the ivy-shrouded tomb flora he said forgive me forgive you she echoed looking at him dreamily forgive you for what for having suffered you to believe me dead i must seem a coward in your sight a hypocrite all that is low and mean but i have been the creature of circumstances when you know all you will acknowledge that 
i want to know nothing she answered with dignity except that my husband is guiltless of your blood i have made him suffer have suffered myself a world of agony for your sake she looked at him wonderingly he seemed to have lost the grace and glory that had once surrounded him like a halo he seemed of a different clay from the lover of her girlhood handsome still graceful still with not one attribute of his youth changed or lessened yet not the same the glamour was gone for ever what motive had you for leaving me under such a miserable delusion about you she asked passionately remembering all the anguish of the last few months why did you make a good man suffer years of wasted remorse for your sake the good man having knocked me down on the edge of a precipice had some right to his share of compunction answered walter leyburne coolly if my reticence caused you any pain flora i'm deeply sorry you were my betrothed husband she answered in all the world i had only you and my father and dr ollivant whose friendship i had not learned to value you were half my world in those days and the mystery that surrounded your fate made it all the more terrible yes mr leyburne you made me suffer more than my share of agony flora forgive me look at me on my knees at your feet he pleaded kneeling beside her clasping the small cold hands i did not know what i was doing for months i lay between life and death and then came a time in which mind and memory were little better than a blank when i came back to life and the waking world and had power to communicate with you we two had been parted nearly a year i reasoned the matter out and told myself that whatever natural sorrow you might have suffered for my fate was over and done with little good could come of your knowing the truth at that late hour and then when i next heard of you you were married to dr ollivant did not honesty to him constrain you to declare the truth putting me out of the question i owed no allegiance to him we fought and he gave me a blow that just missed being mortal i had no compunction about him i had had my share of suffering concussion of the brain months of dangerous illness i had just narrowly escaped insanity do you suppose that i should be particularly anxious about his feelings well you have had your revenge said flora with a sigh you have parted me from the best husband that ever woman had how can i tell if he will take me back again if he will ever forgive me all the hard things i said of him for your sake my life has been twice darkened for your sake once when i grieved for your unknown fate and now again when i was taught to believe my husband guilty of your death no life could have been happier than mine was when that knowledge came upon me and i flung it all away for your sake easy to win all back again said walter with a touch of that old lightness which had been a charm in the past an attribute of that careless sunny nature which had seemed so bright and fair to the girl's fancy it jarred upon the woman now easy to reclaim his love he is too devoted to you to be angry flora sighed and was doubtful she knew the depth of that soul whose love she had outraged true that her husband's sin of suppression and hypocrisy was not lessened by the fact that his rival lived yet she saw all things in a new light now that the man she had mourned as dead stood before her mere clay after all and not an awful and sacred memory the gulf between life and death is not wider than the difference between our estimation of the living and the dead sublimated by death the man rises to the hero the poet soars to the god not once did flora question her sometime lover about his past she felt very sure that the dark-eyed lady who had arranged the sketching gear was his wife the little butterfly creature in white and scarlet his child 
he had chosen his lot in paths removed from hers and had kept aloof from her rather than confess the bitter truth that he had never loved her that his engagement to her was an entanglement from which he gladly withdrew himself all this seemed clear enough to her and she had no desire to know more all her thoughts and fears and hopes centred in the faithful husband from whom she had been parted for this man's sake she rose with an effort and walked a little way from the tomb walter by her side offering support to those feeble steps thanks i shall be stronger presently she said i am going home it is not far a nice little shady walk that is all good afternoon mr leyburne but i cannot think of letting you go alone he said you live near here then yes i am staying with my mother-in-law at a cottage near here you are quite at home in the place then we i only arrived last night you and your wife and child said flora i saw them just now yes he answered with a guilty look my wife and i flora if you will only let me tell you everything explain everything that has happened since that day at branscombe i am sure you would think better of me what is the use of explanations asked flora no explanation will give me back my happy life or make my husband forget my cruelty to him let things be as they are i knew long ago when i first mourned for your supposed death that you had never cared for me that is not true flora i did care for you who could know you without loving you only only you loved someone else better interrupted flora i heard all that from whom in heaven's name an old an elderly person called upon me a mrs gurner what she had the impertinence to intrude upon you cried walter indignantly and with a flush of shame upon cheek and brow for there are alliances a man scarcely cares to remember do not be angry with her she seemed to pity my wasted grief she told me that you had been attached to some granddaughter of hers your wife i suppose yes but you must not form your opinion of my wife from that horrid old woman my wife is full of intelligence and brightness and has a natural refinement that needed very little to develop it she has been but i could never reckon the sum of her devotion she has given me the most unselfish love that man ever was blessed with you will learn to forgive me when you know how much i owe her life itself and better than life reason for nothing less than her ceaseless care could have restored either i only gave her the life i owed to her affection i do not grudge her the prize returned flora coldly i only regret that you did not think it worth while to let me know that you were safe and happy and had formed new ties and that i might be happy for my part it would not have been much to do walter was silent for a little and then said humbly those who had the care of me in my day of darkness should have communicated with you it seemed too late afterwards nay i confess the truth i was coward enough to fear your contempt for my inconstancy your scorn of my humble marriage it seemed easier to let things glide i left england on my wedding day and only returned late last june since when my wife and i have been travelling in scotland and the lake district we only came to ireland a few days ago after learning italy by heart we wanted to know the beauties of our native land and your fame said flora i wonder that has not told me you were not dead you must be a great painter by this time alas no he answered with a smile and a sigh greatness is not easily made out of such stuff as i yet i have worked honestly in the past two years my wife has urged me to that having grand ideas about my future 
i sent a little tableau de genre to the last parisian exhibition which was very well spoken of and that is the first small leaflet i have gathered towards the crown of laurel i am to win some day i signed my picture espoir so that even if you had seen it criticised you would have been no wiser nor would you be likely to hear of me from friends or acquaintance my wife and i have wandered from place to place unknown and unnoticed we have lived only for ourselves courting no society and following our own whims and fancies bohemians as we are they had been walking slowly from the abbey precincts all this time along the shady road that led to the cottage at the gate of the small domain they parted with coldest courtesy on flora's part with solicitous regard on walter's we are to be friends in future are we not flora he asked pleadingly detaining the hand that touched his so coldly friends at a distance she answered it could not give you any pleasure to meet my husband i thank god for your preservation upon that dreadful day i wish you and your wife all happiness that life can give you but i would rather our lives remained far apart the memory of the past is bitter for all of us god bless you walter she said warmly with a new kindness in her face god bless you and yours and good-bye that means forgiveness doesn't it flora yes for the sake of the love that is dead for my father's sake who loved you so well and as i hope to be forgiven for my sins now you have made me happy flora good-bye he pressed the little hand bent down to kiss it and left her mamma said flora going into the shady little parlour where mrs ollivant was busily engaged in a great work of accountancy going over all the killarney bills and comparing them with her household ledger mamma is it to-morrow we are going away no my love don't you remember that we arranged for the day after i gave you a couple of days to say good-bye to your favourite walks could we go to-morrow mamma do you wish it very much with all my heart what a capricious child well i think it might be done if i were to sit up for an hour or two to-night and work at the packing let me help you mamma i should like it of all things do you think i would let you fatigue yourself why how white you are looking flora exclaimed mrs ollivant lifting her eyes from those all-absorbing papers worse than i have seen you look for a long time lie down on the sofa dear till i bring you your afternoon cup of tea you have been overtiring yourself no mamma there is nothing the matter with me but i want to get back to london i want to see my husband for i think if heaven will be kind to us we may be happy again if cuthbert can but forgive me forgive you child he has no thought but of your happiness though i do not know the cause of your quarrel i know what he has suffered there is no measure or limit to his love End of chapter thirty five